Well, today we're continuing our series called Our Mess, His Message through 1 Corinthians. And today we're looking at chapters 5 through 7. Now, if you've read the book of 1 Corinthians, you might know what's coming. Uh, these chapters are all about relationships and they talk about sex quite a bit. And so Sarah is going to be talking about this morning. So I say that because parents, if you have younger kids around, you might want to occupy them with something else for the next 20 to 30 minutes. Just a heads up for you. For the rest of us, though, I think the question is simple. Does God care about our relationships? And does God actually care what we do around sex? And the answer, according to the Bible, is a resounding yes. So what I want to do is to start us off, we're going to listen to a couple of well-known speakers and pastors named Lisa Harper and Mike Todd as they talk to us about this. And then Sarah's going to come and speak to us about God's intention, his design around our relationships and around sex. Let's hear what they have to say. What would you say to women who are single who don't want to be, whether it's they yeah. never married yeah. or married? Um, and then for the women who really have wanted to have children, and in your words, because this is what you always say, you know, their eggs are drying up <laughs> or have dried up like raisins. Dried ovaries or raisins. Yes. yes. Okay. Yeah. So what wisdom as a woman who has lived single, never married, yeah. no biological children, yeah. what would you say to her? Now, but I was single in my 20s and 30s because I was so broken as I love that you always talk about who we are and how, mm -hmm. you know, she's still there. My she was so broken by uh, abuse and some sexual molestation that I, quite frankly, didn't really want to marry. So I would say I wanted to because marry. Because? I didn't want to get hurt. Now, right. I wanted to be married in that I wanted the companionship. I wanted children. Yeah, you didn't I want to be a romance. I did want it, but I'd get close to it and go, oh, I can't go there. Because I dated some really lovely men mm -hmm. who would have been good, godly husbands. But I, I just couldn't go there. I wasn't mature mm. enough. I was more drawn to either abusive or emotionally absent men. Mm -hmm. So when I'd get close, I got close to marrying a few times. I just couldn't pull the trigger because I was so scared. Mm. And so um, I'm a slow learner. God had to <laughs> took a long time. He has me on repeat. Man, took me <laughs> a long time to, um, and I don't mean I do this 100% of the time. I think we're always in active places of, of redemption, but it took me a long time to truly believe that God loves me. Um, I thought he tolerated me. I knew he'd saved me. I thought he saved me, and I would never say this. I went to seminary and memorized the Greek and Hebrew, or tried to, about um, about his love, about our, our atonement. But emotionally, mm -hmm. theologically, cognitively, I believe God loved me. Mm -hmm. Emotionally, it wasn't, it wasn't passing through no. your neck. No, because I was I was just scared and still so wounded. And so when he healed kind of the deepest toxic relational roots of my life, I was in my 40s. God. So I'm just going to run toward Jesus. And whatever he has for me um, is going to be good. Because Psalm 8411, no good thing does he withhold from him whose work is upright or her who mm -hmm. regularly stumbles is how I paraphrase it. God wants you to win in 
all of your relationships. But without revelation in our relationships, we end up resorting to what we know. And let's just be honest, most of us don't know a bunch about relationships. When we look at our parents and how they did relationships, the family secrets, the things that have happened to us and hurt us in the past and even in the present, it's time for us to go back to God's word and see what it says about relationships. I was with my mother uh, a day or two before our wedding. Uh, we got married in Columbus, Ohio. And uh, a day or two before, we we're, were getting stuff together. And uh, in the midst of all this business with my mom, she turns to me and she says, Sarah, I was thinking about the honeymoon for you and Stephen. And I just wanted to let you know that for your father and I, I thought, oh my gosh, we're doing this conversation right now i'm 30 years old and we have to go get our centerpieces and what like right now and my mother continues so on our honeymoon i did not pack enough things i didn't want to to be that girl and just take up a lot of space so i want to really encourage you whatever you think you need to bring with you florida may not be warm in november you should pack enough I, I just stared at her. I'm not joking. The the talk about our honeymoon, our, our wedding night, was about packing. Talk about dodging a bullet. We're in this series on the first letter to the Corinthians, uh, and St. Paul is writing a message to the church there, like he could be writing a message to our community here, full of practical theology and life advice. And he spends the middle three chapters talking about sex and we do not get to dodge any bullets on this one. It is full of uh, relevant, helpful advice that I think is actually super practical and hopeful for us here and now. So thanks for joining us this morning. My name is Sarah. I'm one of the pastors here. We've got a good morning together. Ultimately, when we look at what this piece of scripture is telling us, it's telling us don't waste your body and don't waste your desires. I've entitled this message, uh, Longing for Love, Repressed or Expressed. We are all looking for connection and relationship, and our faith is actually about freeing our desires and our longings uh, so that love can be expressed well with Christ and in community and also in marriage. Admitting we need other people, admitting we're lonely, admitting we need in romantic relationships can be vulnerable, but it's also the path to, to full relationships. Not demanding, just admitting. You know, the times I have felt most icky, most lonely, most, you know, unhappy was when I tried to insulate myself in a cocoon of, of self-reliance. You know, if my husband has to work late, cancel date night or, or something, and my response is like, yeah, well, fine. I didn't actually want to anyways. And I try to you know, text one friend and see if she'll hang out with me instead. Like, oh, I'll just, I'll do something better. I'll, I'll, I'll text one friend who will hopefully come through for me. Or, um, you know, I think about the times, you know, when I was single and was the most unhappy. It wasn't after a breakup. Um, usually I, you know, I didn't, I didn't date much through, through my twenties really, but usually after a breakup, I felt like that was the right thing to do. And I'll, I'll move forward. The times when I felt worst, when I was single, it was when I put on a veneer and lied to myself. I said, you know, I'll probably just be single forever, but that's fine. I'm fine like this. I'm fine how, how it is, right? 
when, when I, I stifled and, and I denied and I lied about, you know, what, what I wanted and what I was longing for in terms of relationships and connections instead of admitting openly, uh, honestly, connecting with, you know, my God-given desires for, for love and relationships. Uh, if we never think or, or talk well about sex. I mean, we, we will think in some ways if we, you know, imagine, fantasize, dream, make stuff up. If we, but if we don't think and talk well about sex, really it is our loss. But if we think and talk well about sexuality, it leads us into healthier uh, and better relationships. The reality is it's our loss if there are parts of our life that are not open to, to community and the, the word of God. If our relationships are hidden, if our sexuality is, is closed off, we won't be healthy and integrated. We'll be caught in, in superficial, closed, like working associations instead of warm, connected relationships. But if we can get this right, guys, if we can get this right, we open ourselves up to real fulfilling relationships. We want to focus on ourselves. We want to use all of ourselves, our body, mind, and spirit for loving and honoring those around us and actually leaning into our needs and our desires for love and letting our desires be awakened by God to bring us into deeper humanity and connection with each other and with God. So that's where we're going today. Guys, good stuff. Let's pray together and then we'll turn to scripture. Jesus, we thank you that you have created us, each one of us. I just invite you, friends, to uh, receive the truth of that this morning, that you are made by God and you are made by God well. Thank you for creating us. Thank you for creating us well, Jesus, and that you have created us with a desire and longing for relationship and connection. And Jesus, this morning we pray that you would move us forward in that. Even in our sexuality, Jesus, that does not belong to the world. Our sexuality does not belong to ex-boyfriends or girlfriends or magazines or movies. Um, our sexuality belongs to you, Jesus, and you have good things for us in that. So we, we claim that for you. We give this time to you, Jesus. We say uh, we, we are your people. We want to follow your way. And we believe in the good things that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, guys, we've got a little bit of a longer passage this morning, but I promise you it will not be boring. We are in 1 Corinthians, like I said, um, and we are going to be in chapters 5, 6, and 7. So he starts off, when I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin, but I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or are, are greedy or cheat people or worship idols. You would have to leave this world to avoid people like that. I meant you are not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer, yet who indulges in sexual sin or is greedy or worships idols or is abusive or drunkards or cheats people. You notice the list gets longer, actually, when he's talking about Christians you're not supposed to associate with. Don't even eat with people like that. Basically, he's saying, like, I don't care what other people do. I don't care what Johnny's parents let him do. I'm telling you, 
for this for you guys. Verse 12, it isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it certainly is your responsibility to judge those who are inside the church who are sinning. God will judge those on the outside, but as the scriptures say, you must remove the evil person from among you. Then he moves on um, in uh, verse 12, chapter 6, um, and he quotes one of their like popular mottos or phrases. You guys say, I'm allowed to do anything. Not everything is good for you. And even though I'm allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. You say, food was made for the stomach and the stomach for food. This is true, though someday God will do away with them all. Our bodies aren't going to last forever. But you can't say that our bodies were made for sexual immorality, right? The stomach was made for eating and digesting food. Our bodies were not made for sexual promiscuity. You look at how it functions, consequences, that's not the purpose of how God made his creation. Our bodies were made for the Lord and the Lord cares about our bodies and God will raise us from the dead by his power just as he raised our Lord from the dead. God cares about your body so much after natural, normal death, he's gonna resurrect your body. Don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Should a man take his body, which is a part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never. And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her? For the scriptures say, the two are united into one. But the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Our bodies and sex are, are for connection, very powerful connection. And we have the opportunity to connect with God and with each other in good, holy ways. Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? who lives in you and was given to you by God. You do not belong to yourself for God bought you with a price. So you must honor God with your body. Your body is important. But let's talk about the specifics of what this means uh, sexually. You know, if there is a kind of historic uh, Christian ideal, and um, who wants to live by the ideals, the traditional historic Christian sexual ideals? Yes? Yes? Ah, verse 7, 1, take me back to the gold standard. Now, the question you asked in your letter, yes, it is good to abstain from sexual relations. The gold standard of Christian uh, sexuality, traditionally or historically, is celibacy. People are like, I did not raise my hand at home. Nope, nope, not me. I, I. Mm. But he continues. But because there is so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman should have her own husband. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Love and submit uh, to each other uh, in marriage. You say, I'm yours, you are mine. Well, lots of stuff here to talk about, um, but we start off uh, this whole passage with Paul saying, stop judging people 
outside the church. This is for you guys, not not for, for those guys. How much of our concern about sex is aimed at people outside the church, way outside the church, maybe even in other countries? Because I'll be honest, I am around lots of Christians. You know, as a pastor, really lots of Christians. And most of the talk I hear about sexuality goes something along the lines of like, how you doing? Oh, good, good. You know what? I'm just, I'm concerned. Did you hear, did you hear what happened in California? Oh, I'm, I'm concerned. Did you hear about this, this in, in Europe and nowadays and people out there? It's not talking about ourselves. I, I don't hear people say like, oh, how was your week? How are you doing? Oh, I'm just, I'm concerned. I'm concerned that I'm not treating my body as the temple of the Holy Spirit. I'm, I am troubled by what is going on. I may not be fulfilling my marital duties to my spouse in the way that is most pleasing to him or to her. I just, I, I, I don't hear uh, much of that. Most of our concern uh, when I hear Christians talk about sex has nothing to actually do with honoring our bodies and honoring our sexuality, how God made us. Now, some people will react and say, yes, you know, Paul says not to judge those outside the church, but he didn't have to deal with what we have to deal with today. Uh-uh. Paul knew what he was talking about. We can have a history lesson about the sexual norms of the Greek and Roman world, but it will be R-rated. They had bad stuff going on back then. Temple prostitution, pedophilia. Men were basically allowed to take what they wanted. Paul knew what he was talking about. And still he says, don't judge those outside. I want to talk about you honoring your body and loving others well. Because our bodies matter. We have a whole little essay here on how much our bodies matter. I think about a uh, Friends episode, uh, Phoebe and uh, Chandler, they, um, they both have uh, candidates to uh, go on a date with the beautiful Rachel, and they're competing about which one picked a better date for, for Rachel and hoping you know she picks their guy and everything. And uh, Phoebe says, yeah, well, my guy has a great body. Does your guy have a great body? Chandler says, no, my guy's just a disembodied head. So there. We all have bodies, and we all actually have great bodies. And all of us do things with our bodies that impact other people. Cry, laugh, hug, turn away, frown, etc. And our journey is actually into our bodies, not away from our bodies. Our bodies tell us things. Our body could be, your body could be telling you things right now. Do a little body scan. I sometimes, you know, start in my head and feel feel how my body feels to my core. Um, our bodies tell us things. You know, your, your neck and shoulders might tell you that you are stressed and, and worried before you actually intellectually feel like, I'm stressed. Sometimes uh, in my core, in my stomach, I carry emotions. Um, and if I feel my body, I'll, I'll, it'll tell me things before I actually intellectually realize that. Sometimes your face will do this too. My kids will be like, Mom, why are you making that face? They're like, oh, I didn't. I didn't even realize I had that reaction or that emotion. I didn't, it didn't strike me that I thought, oh, that was weird. I just, my face made, made a reaction. Uh, sometimes it's not what you mean to uh, say or think either. Um, 
But if Jesus is an example of, of a full human life, and Jesus is a good example, right? Yeah, he's, he's a good example. Let's go with him. His journey was from spirit into body. It's a fully embodied spiritual journey. He went from spirit in heaven to spirit and body uh, on earth. And he was raised from the, the dead still with a resurrected body. Our journey is like Jesus, not away from our, our bodies so that we can have like, you know, our, our body still, but the important part of, of our life is our, our prayers and our smart thoughts and our, you know, whatever else. Our journey is actually like Jesus, fully incarnational, to be fully embodied and centered in our bodies and place and time, living right here, right now, fully spiritual, living in health and harmony in the present moment in ourselves, being encouraged by faith, hope, and love to live and love well now. Jesus didn't, didn't skew a human body, the limited uh, experience, but he chose to be incarnated fully uh, as God and as man, and we follow his path. So our bodies our emotions, our interactions with others, uh, our impact as consumers and citizens, how we inhabit this space and this sphere. It's all super important. The good news is we aren't expected to be ethereal, you know, angelic, always thinking about prayers, pie in the sky when, when you die. We're encouraged to focus on our families and enjoying some yummy food and the beauty of nature and, and friends working, producing, creating. But neither are we limited to, to what's right here in front of us physically. Um, there's a spiritual life and, our, and that just makes our physical life so much better here and now. Uh, the former Pope, Pope John Paul II, he writes that uh, the human body includes, right from the beginning, the capacity to express love, that love in which the person becomes a gift and by means of this gift fulfills the meaning of his being and existence. Right from the beginning, the human body is capable of cuddling and smiling and expressing love and being a gift. A baby is a gift, right? And God made your body right from the beginning to be an instrument of justice and service and love. Your body's made to, to help others, to hold doors, rock babies, carry groceries. Your body is made to, to, to be fruitful and, and productive, to dig, type, walk, paint. You know, it's made to connect, to smile, to hug, to, to touch, to listen. Your body is made for, for the purpose uh, to fulfill God's original creation and design, uh, to work together for love and the good of creation. And it's all right there in our physical bodies. You have an amazing body. So how should we live uh, sexually? So this, uh, this passage here, it's real short, just like four, uh, four, four lines. I mean, it goes into a lot more detail as, as we go, but this is just a really good basic uh, dis description of Christian sexuality. Number one, it's good to be celibate. God made you good, and there's a whole range of other emotion, uh, relationships and connections that are good. As I always say, it is better to be unhappily single than unhappily married. A bad marriage can just be hell. 
Um, but even if you want to, to be married or would prefer to be married, there's still so much goodness as a single person. Um, it's, it's just different, um, different callings, different vocations, different blessings. Um, but it's good to be single. You've got a lot more freedom, more friendships, more time to do other things. Um, and the Bible is just very clear that it's a rich, good, full life to be single. Or you can be married um, because there are so many wrong ways of fulfilling our desires that are harmful and hurtful. We want to follow our desires well, um, and that may very well lead to marriage um, and surrendering to each other in love. So it says here about uh, marriage, number one, it's about our desire for love. It's mutual and equal, and it's committed. In the commitment of marriage, love and sex can flourish. It's supposed to be equal, mutual. The Bible was radical in its day for insisting that women's needs and desires be met in marriage. This was not on the radar screen of men at this time and day. Um, but your desires for relationship, for intimacy and closeness, it's good. Our longings and desires are good, and they're to be fulfilled with God in committed mutual marriage relationships. Marriage here is very simple. Desire, equality, mutuality, and commitment. Sex is for love. Love is from God and love flourishes in, in kind of the boundaries, the, the fenced in pasture of uh, commitment. God made us with desires and longings. The theologian Christopher West says, the goal of Christian sexual ethics is awaking and fulfilling our God-given desires. Uh, most of us think that the goal of Christian sexual ethics is repressing our devil-given desires. The goal of Christian sexual ethics is awakening and fulfilling our God-given desires. How are y'all doing with that? It is, um, do you need love, closeness, uh, affirmation? Um, are you open about uh, expressing that, your needs, your wants? Or are you repressing it? Are we bringing, um, are we bringing our needs to, to Jesus um, and living into our, our desire and longing for, for love and closeness and connection with others? You know, desire is fundamental to what it means to be human. I read an interview with a psychologist um, who was tasked in like the 1970s for selecting the piece of music that was put on the um, Voyager space mission. So it's a capsule that's just sent into the farthest reaches of space to explore, communicate with, you know, possibly any other life on other planets. So I said, what are we going to pick to put in this capsule that will like sum up humanity. And uh, so this psychologist, she chose Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. And it's kind of just broadcast out or, or whatever. I'm no rocket scientist, but it's a very emotive piece of music. And she said that it really summarizes humanity's desire. We are people who want more, who have, uh, you know, want just more and more and have desires. Um, and that's why she picked Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. Most of us look at our desires as either something to be repressed or indulged. It's kind of like food. We're either on a diet and counting calories and like a Coca-Cola, like, oh, gross. Soda is disgusting. Or, you know, it's, um, you know, you eat junk food and apple pie counts as a fruit and we binge on snacks. 
Listen, if my only two options are starvation or eating the greasy junk food, I am probably going to eat the greasy junk food because it comes closer to the goal of like satisfaction and um, uh, sustenance than starvation does. But my only options are not uh, repressing or um, indulging. Jesus didn't come to stifle or suffocate our desires. He came to awaken our longing for love and for connection. In the Gospel of John, when John writes his story of Jesus and what he remembers about Jesus, the first words he writes coming out of Jesus' mouth, the first saying that Jesus says in the Gospel of John is, what are you looking for? What are you searching for? What do you want? It's not a whole bunch of, of rules. It's what you want. What are you searching for? You know, we are all looking for connection and relationship. Our faith is about freeing our longing uh, and our desires so that it can reach its full potential with Christ in community and also in marriage because we believe that God has good things for us. You are not meant to be alone. You are meant to be loved first and foremost with your creator, the one who made you this way and knows you and sees you and will love you through the end the love of God is meant to be experienced with other people. God, God does not want to be our only friend. That's kind of a dysfunctional, creative re relationship with the creation. God made relationships and emotions and, and connections. He wants us to live in healthy community. Repressed or expressed. We all have a longing for, for love. Are we willing to let the Holy Spirit kind of work in our needs for a connection and relationship? Our, our need for approval and affirmation and intimacy. You matter. Your, your body matters. Your longings and desires matter. Your body and desires can actually lead you into closer connection with God and with other people. It's just so good. Jesus turned to them and said, what do you want? What are you searching after? Jesus speaks. He's the voice of life and he calls us in love. Let's pray together today. God has good things for us and he has good things for us as people with, with bodies and longings and desires and needs. He has good things for us in terms of our sexuality. Let's talk to him as we close this morning. And Jesus, I do pray that you would actually awaken our longing for love. That the places in our soul that are kind of lonely or, or dried out, Jesus, um, that you would really awaken our longing for love. You are love. God equals love. And you want to connect with us. You want to pour out your love on us. You want to be close to us. And Jesus, I pray for uh, um, redemption of, of sexuality and uh, relationships and connection for some folks here. Jesus, it belongs to you, Jesus. Um, it does not belong to um, people who have taken from us does not belong to past relationships, Jesus. Our sexuality belongs to you, and you have good things for us. You want to move us forwards in that. 
We thank you. We praise you. We welcome you into our uh, connections with other people. If we're married, if we're single, Jesus, we want you to be the center right now. So just pray over um, your status, your, um, your relationships and connections. Make Jesus the center of that. And Jesus, right now, I also really pray for anyone watching who feels uh, unloved or unlovable. You define us. You speak life and worth over us. You call out to us. You ask us to participate with you, saying, what do you want? What are you looking for? What are you searching for? And you love us so very much. And Jesus, right now, I pray over anyone feeling uh, unloved or unlovable. Jesus, would you just flood them with your love right now, Jesus? Your love that called creation into being. Your love that caused you to walk the earth of Israel. Your love that sent you to the cross and your love that raised you up from the dead, Jesus. You will bring all things in our life back to life in the power of your love. We surrender to your love. We also surrender to your plans for our sexuality, Jesus. And would it be expressed in good, healthy ways, Jesus. Loving others well, mutually, equally committed in marriage, Jesus. We want to follow your plans and receive your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm.